that term in a long time. I love it. <laughs> oh, I use it constantly. Who oh, the really? hell said that? I probably had a teacher who, who used to say that, yeah. Really? I only ever think about that as a sexual connotation. It probably is. I probably had a teacher saying it in a very unsavory way. I'm certain it is quite sexual. Oh, teachers. <laughs> Hi there, buddy. Hi, buddy. How are you today? I'm good. I'm feeling uh, relaxed and, and open to the universe. I'm happy for the sunshine. I oh, okay. I didn't clean much in my room, but before I called you, I did take all of the bullshit that's been on my desk and just put it in a box, so at least it wasn't in front of me for, <laughs> for day. That's great. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> honestly like little baby steps like that for me are mean a, a lot. So <laughs> yes, yeah. How are you? Very good. Um, I have an enormous win, and I'm very excited about it. Really. An enormous win. So, okay, my husband uh, likes it likes his hair in what I personally think is the perfect masculine haircut, which mm-hmm. is longer on the top and neat and tidier on the sides and the back. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, and I particularly, I love that on my husband. I think it looks very good on him, as opposed to the sort of, like, take the clippers and cut it all off situation that sometimes barbers will just do because <sighs> they think that's nuts. what men want. I know. <laughs> I think that they think that men don't know what they want, and then they get lazy. Uh-huh. And they're right? like, there you go. This is what you get. Yes. So, um, <laughs> so I... Have not cut his hair since quarant. I have never cut hair ever, ever, ever. It's not what I do. I presume to know nothing about it. I have only ever cut my own bangs. Uh-huh. Um, so he has gone without a haircut for the last six months minimum, probably seven. And his hair is now like down to his shoulders ish. And it's all very curly and wavy. And he basically looks like an Elizabethan poet. <gasps> And it's it's quite lovely and romantic and if he and if he really enjoyed it, he could wear it very well, but he doesn't really enjoy it. He is mostly driven mad by all of these curls just flopping all over his face. And he's been nudging me for months to give him a haircut. But I realized it took a lot of time, and also he would say that to me at, like, 11 at night. Uh And I was like, okay, well, this is not a time for me to do anything actionable. Correct. And also, I need to learn. Or well. (laughs) Although I had no presumptions about myself whatsoever. Uh And so um, he just happened to say it to me this morning. And I was like, oh, all right, let me look into that. And I went online and I specifically looked up a scissor cut for men um, because scissor cuts are what allow you to get that dimension that I particularly like and that I find looks, in my opinion, better on most masculine individuals. Well, and and also having cut Don's hair during this time, I'm like, uh, why would you go to a barber? Like, if you're going to just buzz all your hair off. You can do that at home. Why wouldn't you? Right, right, right. right. Aren't aren't you paying for the scissors? I'm paying for the scissors. I'm paying because you know how to do this thing with scissors. Uh Uh-huh. Paying for the scissors, paying for the expertise. Mm -hmm. So I, I, he gave it to me at just the right time. I had just the right 
you know, uh, amount of willingness in me. And I was like, all right, let me, let me do a little bit of research. And I found this video on YouTube that was for a men's long scissor cut. And I was like, this is great. It was 20 minutes long. The stylist's name is April. She did an incredible job, was an amazing teacher. And she walks you through every step of it. And all you need are shears, which I've had forever, and a comb. And I was like, Andrew, give me 20 minutes. Go wash your hair and come upstairs with a tarp. Let me tell you, girl, I nailed it. Yay! Oh, so good. I slam dunked and then they played like the jock jams happened there was confetti <laughs> it was amazing it was amazing i can't tell you because like look there are experienced stylists who have fucked this up oh sure and at a time when his hair was only a little shaggier than he liked it. Mm. I'm basically starting with a Neanderthal. <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot tell you what a huge fucking win this was. And now, I mean, quarantine or not, honestly, I think I did a great enough job and for free t- that I would feel comfortable doing this over and over again. Amazing. I love Amazing. it. Amazing. And, and then Andrew was like, you should offer. And I was like, yeah, I should. Wait a second. That's literally the only problem that we've all been trying to avoid for six months. Yeah, you don't uh, want to. Uh, uh. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. you so now I have this, this amazing new skill set. Except I, don't I want know, to. right? <laughs> yep. So I'm feeling particularly wonderful about that right now. And actually, the reason that I asked if we could postpone was because I had little pieces of his hair all over me. Oh, so ha, I, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, right. <laughs> I hate that feeling. Oh, God, I hate it. <laughs> but that tarp worked like gangbusters, man. Sweet. That is mm-hmm. awesome. Praise report! Praise report, spirit fingers. <laughs> I did a good haircut. You found a box to shove your shit in. I know. It's the little things. We are killing it over here. Whoop, look out, y'all. Look out. <laughs> um, which might actually be a good seg, although we usually bullshit for far longer. <laughs> we, can, we can hop right in. We could hop I have, right I in, don't, I don't have anything really to report. Mm-hmm. No more praise report for me. I mean, it's all <laughs> praise reports, but nothing specific. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, to the tune of praise report for the small stuff, uh, we thought, oh, hey, I'm Jen Ponton. I'm Lillian Bustle. And together, we take you on a journey here on all the fucks. We take you down Um, our memory lane. We spark your memory lane. That's right. Oh, God. We want to hear all about your memory lane. (laughs) We want a Google Maps satellite view of your memory lane, guys. (laughs) Oh, man. Mine's not on there. Uh, Mine's classified. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. My shit's a no-fly zone. All the fucks we talk about all of the very squidgy vulnerable feelings that make us uh, extra tender-hearted sensitive humans and just what it's like to navigate the world caring so fucking much all the time oh god all the time i don't think i've ever been so succinct with that no it's perfect <laughs> 
I don't know. It's Virgo season, man. I'm on the ball. It is Virgo season. Yeah. I really like, love this time I, of year. I, I love oh my gosh. Virgo season for that alone. And I'm back in class. And class started. Yeah. Virgo that sounds season. like it's been fun. Oh, it's been so good. I cannot tell you the last time I really wanted to have a regular acting teacher. Because uh. I got so burned by this absolute nightmare human as soon as I... As soon as I was working in New York, basically. Mm. So the first year that I was out of college, I started working with this guy and taking classes with him. And uh, he was... He was white and gay and a very cutting personality. Mm. And young. So he wasn't even like... He wasn't even like the old turtleneck kind of, of theater. <laughs> I know what you mean. You know, I do. He was he was young, and so I felt like he was very relevant, and like he would be accessible. And I had, I had not had any mean acting teachers. I didn't have anybody ruin it for me yet. Mm-hmm. I came from fucking liberal arts school with a bunch of hippies who were like, "Do a little of this and a little of that, whatever feels good in your heart, man." And I was like, "Yay!" <laughs> <laughs> and this guy, this guy was not. Old school Stanislavski or Meisner or whatever. What he was, he had made up this crazy town. He had made up this absolute bonkers uh, approach to acting. Which is technically not bad, but the way that he wanted you to get there was by completely breaking you down. Nope, nope. That never needs to happen. That never needs to happen. happen. Oh, my God. He had classes where the only... This is the same guy. Oh, but this episode didn't actually get aired, y'all. So, fuck buddies. We did an episode about dreams where the audio was so foobar that we didn't end up um, uh, uh, posting it as a podcast because it just honestly felt too cruel for me to have you put that in your ears. (laughs) However... I have been I have been working on cleaning it up for weeks in a video format that will be much easier to digest because ostensibly you'll be able to watch it and listen and it's not solely about a good oral a u r a l experience. <laughs> so anyway, where was I going with this? Uh, anyway, you, you take anyway. a class and you don't hate the teacher. So this fucking guy. Uh, this this guy had a bunch of really crazy approaches to acting, one of which was like, you can't get anywhere until I break you down into not even a person anymore. And the other one, another one was like, let's look at your dreams for like inspiration. I was like, that's cool. And then I had a really great and awesome dream that Will Smith and I were fighting crime together. <laughs> and we were like an FBI agent team and we were trying to stop a bomb from going off at this bank or whatever and I came into class and I told him about that dream and he was like this is why you're racist and I was like what oh I mean, that's right I remember you <laughs> telling this story what the hell look it's Man. 2020 I'm white we have been raised in a white supremacist nightmare we are any white person is inherently racist for those reasons alone. Sure. But when I was 23 years old, 
I was just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, uh, also, that's quite a big leap from, like, having yes. a funny celebrity dream that sounded like you actually rather enjoyed it, you know? I loved it. I loved it. What a um, dick. Yes. No, he was the worst. And so, and then um, it all culminated in him. Uh, oh, and, like, he would have classes where the entire point was just to make yourself cry. Ugh. But, like... But, like, not in a here's your acting technique and connect with your person. It was like, it was like, get down to the deep, dark, broken shit and just sit there and live there. Mm. And the problem is not that that's not what you do in acting. Sometimes it is. But you do it according to your own rules and your own boundaries. And you do it with someone that you trust who is not a sociopath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Oh, my God. It all fucking culminated. So he was doing this big workshop in the Poconos. He was doing um, this, this, uh, this like weekend away, and it was expensive, especially for a twenty-three-year-old. It was four hundred dollars. Yeah, and and he invited me, and I was like, I don't have four hundred dollars. I'm going to your class. I live in a hovel, and I work children's birthday parties for like. <laughs> keep the electricity on. <laughs> right. I can't I'm already spending plenty shit. of time with your ass, so. Absolutely. But it w- it promised to be an incredible experience. Right. And he was like, well, I could figure, you know, I could have you go basically to audit if you were the cook for the weekend. Wow. And I was like. This doesn't sound like, like you're about to be taken advantage of at all. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well. Uh, I mean, and he's like, what, can you make, like, macaroni and cheese? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, that's good enough. You, that you, can, you can cook. Done. Done. And I was like, oh, okay. No. Wow. And I had a car, right? So I could also be part of the shuttling system. So oh. drive into the city, which at the time was totally fine. I live, like, five minutes away. Could drive into the city. Get, have everybody get in my car at the pickup point and drive them like two and a half hours to the Poconos uh-huh. to this rental um, mountain chalet. Mm-hmm. And basically, it wasn't even that many people. It might have been like 15 students along with him. Mm-hmm. And I can't recall exactly, but I think it was just me in the kitchen. And he was like, you'll get to watch blah, 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 blah. And then you'll just cook for people. And I was like, okay. Well, that fucking motherfucker, I spend every moment of every day in this kitchen or on my way to ShopRite or who know or Wegmans or who knows what, because the, he has no idea what he's going to need to feed all of these people. Oh. I have to carry in bags upon bags upon bags all by myself, um, uh, and I'm basically prepping or cooking every moment of the day. Mm. And not to mention what f- he's a being a giant dick about it. And he's like, why isn't this ready? What were you going to make for this? And of course he promised all of these actors like, I'm going to have fresh organic blah, 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 Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. And then he was like, mac and cheese. Mac and cheese or, like, a Stouffer's veggie lasagna, which is not a terrible thing. But these students were like, um, we paid $400. That sucks. It was 
such garbage. Oh, no. Were they mad at you? I hope they weren't mad Uh, at you. No, no, no. Everybody felt very badly for me and also (laughs) knew me kind of as a peer. I feel like I hadn't taken classes with him for too long, Mm -hmm. and they had sort of a a solidified class dynamic. But um, what I did watch of what he was doing was it was all very unsafe, very fucked up, culty shit it was cult shit at the end of the day like stay out of the woods wow (laughs) stay out of the forest you're in a cult call your dad oh my god (laughs) what okay so uh, yeah and i i have had plenty of different kinds of acting teachers too and uh a psych professor or two who i really thought was dicey and mm, I understand a little bit where people are coming from where they're like, oh, you have to open up. Yeah. We've all met those people where we're like, I don't think that you feel your actual feelings. But um, <laughs> that's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not. Mm-mm. Oh, it was it was so bad. And the stuff that I like, he would do breakout groups, small breakout groups. And basically, like he would take people back to their initial fucking traumas and then poke around in there no no i watched very fragile people do really weird shit Mm. that was really the the alarming part it wasn't so much his process which has some merit but again in the hands of someone who is very responsible with it and in the hands of someone who also prepares his artist's in a caring and safe way to do that kind of work because these were all fragile motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. They were so fragile. <sighs> it's such a fucking dick swing. I hate it. It really is. It really is. So, um, yeah, unfortunately I had to, <laughs> I had to figure out the rest of that weekend there. And then I was like, go fuck yourself yep. never coming back so sorry that i agreed to do this uh, well mm-hmm. and that i mean that kind of has to do with one of the thing that we wanted to talk about today right yes yes yeah uh because learning how to stand up for yourself and learning how to discern what is a great opportunity and what somebody trying to fuck you over it takes a long time it takes a really long time but we wanted really, to do, I, uh, yeah. basically, um, today is about adulting. It's about, it's about. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's about the praise reports. It's yeah. about the big moments that sadly only arrive usually when you're late enough in life that you're like, why couldn't this have happened 10 years ago? Oh, man. <laughs> I, that still happens to me all the time where I'm like, oh, I think I should have been able to handle this by now. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, right? Yes. But there, I mean, I felt like such a late bloomer when it came to knowing my boundaries and my power and what I, what bullshit I would accept from people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That takes plenty. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure it out sometimes. Um, do you remember the first time that you were expected to do an adult thing that you realized that you had abs, you were way in over your head, that you were like, oh, God. The first time ever. Like, as a as a kid. There wasn't so much. That's, that's a tough question. Sure. Because it wasn't so much 
so you and I have an interesting yin yang on these because mine were almost exclusively emotional mm. and yours were emotional but they were also very like tangible yeah i had i had some from column a some column b <laughs> right um and so i feel like i didn't have to do anything particularly adult in terms of like take myself somewhere Right. Make myself meals, figure out food, uh, you know, find somewhere to bathe. Nothing like that, really. I mean, um, I think, honestly, one of the first moments that I, but but emotionally, I felt so much responsibility for making sure things didn't get bad in my house Mm, mm -hmm. and so that responsibility that I just kind of took on myself um like I would I would be a hovering parent to my parents and I'd say you know you you know, my teachers are telling me that it's really bad for you to smoke. Oh, my teachers yeah. are telling me it's really bad for you to drink. Mm-hmm. My teachers are telling me that these are all really bad patterns, and I'm learning it in school, and here you are doing it. Mm-hmm. And like, so there was a lot of that emotional work. And like, I remember being in the car with my dad once, and I. I think it was third grade. I think in third grade, the health curriculum was teach children about addictions. Mm, that teach seems children likely. about. Um, and so that's when I started learning about smoking and drinking and probably to, to a smaller extent, drug use and realizing that that was happening in my house. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, mm, I, I have to take this back to them. So that's sort of when I started really checking in with my folks and being like, hey, I think maybe we have a problem here. Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad driving me um, to or from school one day, and I had said that to him, and he was like, you know, I don't think you understand why people drink. And I was like, sure I do. It's because life is too hard to handle, and you have a lot of feelings that you don't know what to do with and this is how you think it might be easier oh, Jesus. or something to t- right and I said that as an eight-year-old <laughs> so I to me that's like the first uh, oh my god if I was emotional... a parent that would bring me to my knees hey yeah and do you know what he fucking did he was like yeah peanut that's exactly right oh <laughs> okay as you were. Nailed it. All right. Off to school with you. Nailed it. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So that was that was the first defining moment in my in my head of like, oh, I need to carry this all myself. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, I really, uh, as a kid, I mean, like I said, I... I was alone so much um, that I, it's kind of hard to tell like what the first thing was where I was like, oh, <laughs> um, but the right. thing that I remember um, really 
being like, oh, oh, we're all on our own was when I was with a group of girls who went to a teacher in, I think it was fifth or sixth grade, because one of our friends was getting bruised up by one of her parents. And the teacher was like, do you guys have any proof of this? No. Well, then it's none of your business. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, we're alone. (laughs) We're alone. We are alone. And I don't know if that, I mean, that girl wasn't very close to me. I I think it was one of those things where, you know how... (laughs) How in middle school you're just you just show up for a conversation and suddenly you're like getting ready to go on an adventure, right? Like you you didn't mean to be there, but suddenly you're there and you're part of whatever's happening. That's that's what it was yeah. like. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, um, I know that feeling. Yeah, but I mean, I felt responsible for my mom uh, and her moods from a very young. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I think mine was mostly taking care of my mom. Things like making sure that she was up for appointments, um, things like uh, making her coffee um, or sometimes like a sandwich, like doing things and and being like, "Mm, this is not what a kid usually does for their parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the older I got and the more mom leaned on me emotionally, I was very aware that that was not something that was appropriate either. But I was like... uh, who, who else is going to do this? I remembered like, trying to get my friends to get their parents to be friends with my mom. I remember desperately oh. being like, like, maybe you could talk my mom up so that when she comes to pick me up from your house, oh, they can, God. they can like actually go hang out instead of just talking and having eight cigarettes and then not seeing each other again until I come over again. Like none of that ever happened. Oh, Lord. Yeah, I mean, I don't... God, I don't remember Mom going over to a friend's house. I remember her doing church things and um, being parts of groups. But, yeah. Ugh. That... Oh, God. So, so in the in the inverse, do you recall any moments, any really vivid moments where you realized that what you were was... That what you knew was abnormal? Like, when you started seeing enough of what other kids' lives were, that you were like, oh, fuck. Oh, I I knew it was never... I mean, we were hiding things from the time I was little. I knew that it was never normal. I knew that we had so many secrets and that people weren't like us. Now, to uh, almost to a fault, because I remember there was this girl who I went over to her house, and then I'm pretty sure I talked about this before, too, but we went over to from her house to one of their relatives homes and um you remember i said it was the first time i'd seen someone else with a hoarded house and i and mm-hmm. we had to like walk on stuff to get to the the other girl's playroom and i was like oh i guess other people live like this i was still horrified and very uncomfortable but there was a small part of me that was like oh Whew. it's not we're not the only one. i really thought we were the only ones thought we were God, the only of course ones. you did yeah and that was probably, yeah. oh gosh, like seventh grade maybe. So it was a while. Oh boy. Yep. Uh, that does have to feel good though to see that. Reflected. It was normalizing for sure. 
um, I still it, it didn't make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and then the more, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I got older and started looking into hoarding, when people started talking about it as a disorder, then it was even worse because there's really no cure for it. And it was upsetting <laughs> to find <Yeah>. that out. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. I. Um, and then the another time when I really felt like... Not like I was capable of taking care of myself, but that I was going to have to figure it out all on my own was the first time I did. We did a ton of one acts at school, whether it was for like an after school club thing or whether it was for like a class. And I took I took a lot of drama classes. Um, And I remember the first time that mom just didn't come to one of my shows. And I am sure she slept through it. Like, I'm sure she did. And I got a ride home and. Uh, she was asleep and I woke her up and she was like, oh, I mean, you know, you didn't, you didn't tell me anything about the shows and I've seen you in a bunch. And I was like, oh, Oh. (laughs) so I guess, I mean, I can unpack that really quick. What does it mean to me that instead of like adulting, meaning something capable where I am proud of taking care of myself and, and earning for myself that I associate adulting with feeling abandoned. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you it's interesting that you say oh, it like that because I actually had that same thought that um, so much of it also feels like that sense of I'm completely I'm I'm on my own for real. Right. And emotionally I felt abandoned very early in mm. life. So, yeah, there was a sense of, there was definitely a sense of being a little adult, for sure. Um, and, and I, yeah, that, that, that emotional feeling of abandonment really what, um, it makes you feel like you don't really have the people that you, that you feel like you're supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, thinking about uh, realizing, for me, it was a realization of how much I needed a support system. And that was the beginning of me forming my own family. Um, which I got to say, I think that that is a very adult, grown up, mature concept. To, to, oh, to instead of clinging, I, I have a friend who was neglected very badly. She's she's an adult lady and she was neglected very badly by her own parents and really just like hung out to dry over and over again and she would always double down and try to win their affection back more and more and more and I was just like why like why? Why? Why why do you feel like it is your job to beg someone to love you when it is their job to love you? It's literally they made you. The one thing that they're supposed to do is at least make you feel loved. <laughs> and yep. and when I um realized that my mom loved me, but when I realized I wasn't going to get what I needed from her and I decided immediately that I was going to find it myself, like that did feel very grown up and that was also young that was probably fifth grade I felt like that wasn't really an option until high school although I did 
I mean, I clung to Brittany, my mm. one actual friend, um, and her family, and I think I think they had a sense of the fact that I really did not want to be home mm. uh, because home was a really bad place for me. Um, but I would have loved nothing more than to have that as an option, really, mm-hmm. as a kid, and I yeah. just didn't. I... And there were there was no extracurricular situation, mm. um, but yeah, like once once making my own family was really truly an option, and I had friends who could drive, and I met kids who really were picking up what I was putting down, like. I was with them all the time, and I was very, very clannish. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I can, I would have done anything for them. Yeah. In, in all of those iterations, yeah. in all of the, the different friend groups that I occupied, for sure. Well, in, in my case, I mean, the family building where it felt like we were all on even terms was definitely in high school. The first time I remember thinking about it in fifth grade was looking for someone else to care for me. Like, in in high school, we were all taking care of each other. But I I was definitely, like, opening up a little bit more with my close friends about how bad things were at home and consequently getting them to invite me over more and getting them to placate their parents about them not going over to my house. You know what I mean? Because that was a smoothing over. Anytime that happened, I lost friends over that. Oh, fuck. Yep. My mom would try to take us all out places, which is fine. But as a parent, at some point, you notice that, like, my kid's yeah. never spending the night at your kid's house. Like, um, but I had, I had good, I had good grownups on my side. I didn't, I, and I was, I acted normal enough that nobody thought to ask. So, yeah. I, no, that's not true. I never acted normal. I didn't. I've never <laughs> been remotely like, oh, she's under the radar. <laughs> More accurately, perhaps you did not act super out of the range of I your normal. I was not. I wasn't worrying anybody. Right, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, the first adult that I really started to latch on to, mm. I guess there were I always liked my teachers. I always liked my teachers, and they always made me feel very safe and secure. Mm. Um, but the the lady, the what did we what did we say? They go see a lady in a room. What? When I had occupational therapy. Oh, oh, yeah, uh huh. <laughs> right. I there was the the occupational therapist in my elementary school Mm -hmm. um, was lovely and I really clung to her and I was also seeing a child psychologist in school Mm -hmm. and I don't know what the impetus for that was. That would be really interesting paperwork or correspondence to be able to just pull out Mm -hmm. of the ether but um, around the time it, it had to be when shit started getting so bad with my dad, honestly, mm. which was second grade, um, because my life changed dramatically, and 
Uh, and I, and so whatever the school was doing with their oversight of me was appropriate because they put me in OT and they also had me start seeing the school psychologist. Yeah. And, um, she had me open up about what was going on at home and I definitely talked to her about my dad's behavior and about his drinking and what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I remember she told me that if I ever needed her, that I should feel like I could reach out to her. And there was one night in... There was one night on, like, a weekend or something, and my dad was just on the rampage. And I remember I remember looking through the white pages to try and find her. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you mentioning that and that you talked to her, right? I think I did. I think I did. I'm, I'm almost certain I did. Yeah. I, I think I found her. Uh, yeah. That's... Which is weird because <laughs> who knows where she had lived at that time. Like, <laughs> But yeah, I looked her up in the white pages. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Thank goodness that there were some people out there who were looking out for us. Um, right? Uh, I think the first time that I was on my own and felt totally out of my, own, out of my depths, though, was um, the summer that I worked for the Virginia Shakespeare Festival. It was the the first summer after I had come back from college <clears throat> where I had floundered plenty, but at least I could always go to the dining hall. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. This was, I think, a, a month, maybe more, um, where we were, we, it was at the College of William & Mary, and we were staying at an unair-conditioned dorm that was within walking distance, but there was no shade between the place. It was like a 10-minute walk with no shade between the dorm and the actual uh, theater. <laughs> and it's a sprawling campus. And um, so, yeah, I was barely getting paid anything. And I was doing, like, three different jobs, none of which I was qualified for. <laughs> mm-hmm. And one of them which <laughs> involved counting and moving around a lot of money. And... Um, that sounds like I was laundering it, but I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be taking it to a night deposit box. Anyway, I remember (laughs) realizing that I could not fucking cook rice. I was like, Oh, I will buy some cheap things at the store. And then I sat down to make rice and I was like, Oh, this takes so long and it's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I couldn't cook. Like I didn't know how to cook for myself. And I don't, I feel like maybe the microwave was broken. Anyway, um, and I had a I had a room all to myself, and there it was hot, and I I wasn't really friends with the other people because everybody else was doing were doing the shows together, and I was doing box office, and I was doing stuff with the children's theater program. So oh, everyone so you else didn't knew even get other. to be with your people. I did sometimes, but I wound up doing a lot of late nights for dumb crap. And mm. yeah, not not getting to hang out as much as I I would have liked. And I did a terrible thing at the end of that. I um I messed up the books horrendously. I I on mean, purpose? No. 
I just can't do math. I didn't know how to do spreadsheets. And the woman who was in charge of me, like, I'm sure she was fine. She wasn't mean. She was just very stymied as how I could have gotten chosen for this job when I had no, no idea what I was doing. I don't know either. But, um, uh, that's the one where I told you half my job was waking up the narcoleptic um, head of the yes. department. Mm-hmm. And yes. Then, and then going out. And you wrote that huge poem about him. Did I? You did. That was in your journals or whatever. You told you told me that was a great job. You loved the guy you worked for. Not romantically. You just adored him. And you wrote this big, no, 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 sorry, sorry. Different? No. The poem you're thinking of with, like, about the, uh-huh. the Crayolas and stuff like that, I wrote yeah. that while I was working at that job about my friend Chris. Oh! Yes. I misunderstood all of that. Because I was so <laughs> ungodly miserable. And oh, lost. Like, anytime I reached out for help, yeah. that lady just looked at me like I was an asshole. And she didn't mm-hmm. help me. Anyway, I fucked things up so oh, bad, and garbage. they wanted me to stay a couple days later and unfuck them, and I told them that my grandfather died. <laughs> and I oh, told my hey. mom, I was like, here's what we're doing. I fucked up real bad. And she was always, she was always ready to go on the lam with me. Like, she would she would lie for me no matter what. She wouldn't care. She was like, yep, that's, that's fine. That's pretty great. Let's go. Let's go. She was <laughs> definitely that. a tiger mom like that. Uh, but yeah, that whole time. And that was when I, uh, I threw up on Patrick Stewart's son's bathroom floor. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Admittedly, when you were telling me about that job, it was hard for me to reconcile the fact that it sounded really difficult and stressful along with how much you loved your boss and what a great time you had. No. So I'm glad you cleared that up. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. No, I didn't love that boss at all. I thought he was very funny. He was very funny. And he knew Shakespeare like, whoa, but yeah, no. God bless. I wonder where that dude is. Um. Uh, I, oh, oh um, God, during that time, sorry, one more thing. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about how I I overslept on the day of the, sh- the show that I was directing for the children? Like the, I, no. Oh, my God. I had, it was me and my friend Jim, and it was two weeks. Like, one week was the younger kids and one week was the older kids. And we were doing, a, like, a, an adaptation of Taming of the Shrew. And... On the very last day, I I had stayed up really late for some reason the night before. I mean, because I was drinking so much caffeine my entire growing oh. up. So much caffeine. Um, uh, and I woke up to um, my friend Jim, who was my partner, pounding on my bedroom door. Oh, God. And he was like, what the hell is happening? Where, what, and I was so out of it that I, 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 told, I said I had cramps. I said I had cramps and I couldn't move. And there was no one to call. Like, I had a, I had a phone, but there was nobody I could call and say what was happening. It was nice that Jim came to get me. Um, and then the other, oh, the other grown-ups who were helping with that Parks and Rec thing, they were very sweet, but they were very like, what the fuck? <laughs> I really, <laughs> I really blew it with that, man. It was it was one of those things where did you take any classes in college where you got so far behind that you felt like you were drowning? In college or anytime really? 
Uh, in high school, my senior year of high school. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I was I was familiar with that feeling in a classroom setting, but not for a job. Uh, I didn't know what it was like to disappoint people that thoroughly in such a professional <laughs> capacity. <laughs> Job disappointments were hard, especially when I remember very silly, um, a a very silly feeling of how disappointing I was when I when I worked for one day at our local pizzeria and I swept the floor and they were like, you know what, honey, you can go home. And I was like, wait, but (laughs) that felt very adult getting fired at (laughs) fucking 13 years old. After I swept a floor. Like, <laughs> how bad? What? How bad do you have to be at doing that one <sighs> thing that you would get shit canned? <laughs> right. Also, shit within like two hours. And it sounds to me also like they were like, oh, bless her heart about it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Oh, they were. No, they oh. loved me. <laughs> you were bad and you were pitied. They pitied me. <laughs> yes. Yes. They adored oh, me. No. They would. They continue, like, and we continue to be their patrons for literally ever. They still ask about me. They hang up articles about me on the cork board because they've been my pizza people for, like, fucking 30 years. Oh, my God. (laughs) I I love it. I know, right? So, so, um, that was, that was very jarring for me. Sure. Um, And another that was actually quite serious and this one fucked me up so badly um was the first time i had a friend with suicidal ideations which was my freshman year and uh i didn't know that she had been self-harming but some of our mutual friends did and we were at a mutual friend's birthday party and we were having the best fucking time this girl who was on my forensics team and was just the most incredible talent. She was like a national placing uh, poetry speaker. She was incredible. And um, and so we were all at her party and we realized that our friend who was self-harming was in the bathroom. Ooh. And somebody found out that she was cutting and it made its way back to me. And by the time I went home, I was just sick and I was just like my stomach was roiling and I didn't know what to do and I loved this girl I loved her so much she was miraculously she's the one who wrote a bunch of customized erotica for me oh yes (laughs) correct and she was very good at it and she was so her personality was just like it was like L Woods crossed with fucking I don't know with Hillary Clinton. Oh my god, that's amazing. It was amazing. Woo-woo-woo. And she was just she was brilliant. She was a genius and at the same time, she loved to at least play really ditzy. And she was giggly and flirty and and goofy. And we just all loved the fuck out of her. And I was devastated, 
realizing that she was self-harming. And I got home and I probably even talked to my parents first. Although it's possible I didn't. It's possible I didn't. But what I decided to do ultimately with or without their input was I was watching enough teen TV to see a commercial circulating regularly that was like, if you know someone, call this line anonymously. And so I did. And I was like, look, I just came back from a friend's party and I realized that this other friend was cutting herself and I'm really scared and I don't know how long it's been going on. And they got, you know, a shit ton of information from me. They ended up reaching out to her family and in whatever way that was, whether it was like a wellness check from police mm-hmm. or whether it was calling them from whatever agency this was. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I was way too young to understand at the time. And I still don't understand now. So, <laughs> um, but they, and she was, she is uh, Indian and her parents uh, f- are from India. I can't recall if she was born in the US or India, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that her parents are very traditional. And her parents were mortified and very, very angry with me that I had, uh, that I had, you aired, I had you gone outside of her family. Yep. I did. I did. And, um, and they continue, you know. I don't want to judge their culture or their parenting or anything like that, but I don't believe that they took their daughter's mental health seriously Mm -hmm. um, for a few years, and they really seem to be grappling uh, a lot with how to deal with her and the way that it affected her because she continued to be untreated was that whatever was at first on the inside creating issues outside mm-hmm. then became so outside presenting that she would just she became more violent and agitated and paranoid and she loathed me with every bone in her body fuck there's no coming back and it from fucking that. sucked yeah it sucked so badly because all i wanted was for my friend to be okay that's all I wanted. And that was a that was definitely the first moment where I was like, oh fuck, we are all alone. Uh-huh. Like I can I can call this hotline because there's someone that I love who's in peril. And if I call it, her folks are just gonna get mad and keep her from seeing me or talking to me and uh, all of a sudden I will be a pariah for Yeah. At for at least that that uh, from everything that I understand, she did get better with time. I believe she got treatment and, you know, had a therapist and was prescribed something to help her deal with what was going on. But um, during those last couple of ye- years, uh, and unfortunately, her family moved shortly after 9-11. Um, I don't know if they were being harassed locally or what, but... Uh, they all moved to Canada. And yeah, yeah, they they moved up to Canada. So I didn't have too much time anyway to be able to continue uh, 
I don't know, relating to her. But basically, from that moment up until they moved, she would not ever talk to me again. Mm. And there was a time we went to, when we went to Harvard, um, the first year that she was really sick. So probably my sophomore year, because I, I called that agency my freshman year, I think. I think. Uh, probably near the end or like over the summer or something. So by my sophomore year when we were at Harvard, um, she was really not well, but she had gone. Her parents were trying to keep her as normalized as possible. Keep going to school. Keep doing everything you do. Keep Stay in forensics. Keep debating. Keep blah, blah, blah. But her parents were there. And uh, she was put in rooms with us even though she was behaving very erratically she was really not well and uh we were all sort of trying to my coach included we were all sort of trying to manage the situation Mm -hmm. and assuage her and i said oh i think our coach might have said something like who thinks that she should go home who thinks it would be a good idea for her to go home and I raised my hand, and she fucking lunged at me. <gasps> Why yeah. would you ask that in front of the... What? This is... The, so many things that are being handled poorly. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Yes. I mean, we all raised our hands, to be fair, but... <laughs> mm. But I got the brunt of it because, of course, I was the one who had fucked it up. God. As per their their perspective. So... Ah. Um, yeah, that I'm, was a really shitty moment of adulting. Uh, really shitty. I do. I like, do think that there is a moment uh, that there's something inherent with adulting where it's like, just you're like, oh, there's no safety net. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Also, I feel like I probably told you this before, but it's a good one. Uh-huh. Um, there's maybe there's, uh, it's just my tendency. So like. Because I just learned that I was kind of responsible in a very big way when I was little. I was, as an eighth grader maybe, mm. I was or seventh grader, I was put on the safety patrol, right? Oh, so like, baby narc. The, baby narc. I was <laughs> baby narc on the bus, right? So as I recall, safety patrol were the kids who were enlisted to be fucking Nazi youth. Yeah. And to be on the buses and make sure to tell school authorities, if someone had been violent on the bus, if somebody was being a piece of shit on the bus, right? Um, If someone was behaving unsafely, safety patrol also wore their little sash when it was time to go to and from the buses, making sure there was no running, no pushing, no blah, 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 right? Uh Like, it was was about obedience. Nerd alert. Well. Yeah. (laughs) I was on the safety patrol for my bus route, and there was a kid younger than me who lived, I don't know, a half a mile down the road, down my abandoned road, right? Mm -hmm. And he actually lived in, like, a very Norman Bates house, um, (laughs) weirdly, a very Norman Batesy house, and this kid was such a piece of shit anyway, and he had done something really shitty on the bus and his stop might have been before mine but I witnessed this I witnessed this on the bus 
and I told him he couldn't do it, and he, like, I don't know, told me to, I don't know, go fart or whatever. <laughs> whatever a, an obnoxious <laughs> child would say. And I was like, well, uh, we'll get right down to this. So the, the bus drops me off at my house. I open the school directory, because way back when, you had everybody's family's phone number in a book. Mm. I looked up the phone number for his family, and I called his mother. <laughs> And I was like, hi there. I am safety patrol for the bus, and this is what your boy did on the bus. Oh. And I and I told her what happened. But okay, here's where it Karen's the fuck out. And guess who? Uh, miraculously, I am not the Karen in this circumstance, although I can see the grooming. I can see the grooming. So that, but here's what this bitch does. Oh my god! This, this fucking woman. Oh my god! Was like, hey, little girl, how dare you call me and tell me that my little boy is anything other than perfect? Oh god! She calls the school and complains about me. <laughs> As opposed to finding a communal moment of parenting and being like, hey, little girl, so here's what safety patrol probably means. Thank you for telling me. I want you to make sure that you tell the principal tomorrow or do whatever you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. No, she calls the school and is like, this little girl is a piece of shit. And how dare she call my house and tell me about my son and blah, blah, blah. Here I am thinking that I did the right thing calling his parents to tell them about what unsafe thing he did. I come into school the next day, they call me into the principal's office, and they take away my safety patrol stuff. What? I was. Oh. I am currently. I am in the moment right now, and I'm still fucking pissed off. Barfola. <laughs> mm. Oh, it was such garbage, and I was like, I don't understand. The whole point of safety patrol is to make sure we're being safe. And yet, you're going to fire me. It was, to be honest, if I've ever been more like Dwight on The Office, strike me down because I was just so principled. Yes. Oh, yeah. In that moment. Yep. I. Yeah, you truly. were like a fucking vigilante. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, if no one else is going to take rules. care of this. Oh, my God. Yes. That. I mean, I've got a bit of that in me. Oh, and sure. there it was definitely like, no, the whole point is to be a non-asshole and to not do dangerous things on a moving vehicle. Hmm. And here I am actually attending to that cause other than all these other idiot kids who knows what the fuck they're doing, probably not paying attention. Wow. Right? <laughs> So that was another moment of being That's like, fucking epic. fuck you, grown-ups, for being such pieces of shit. Mm -hmm. Fuck you, principal, for not standing up for a child with such a, an intrepid entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and fuck you, Karen. And she was... Now I'm remembering why I hate this woman. For the rest of time, I hated her guts. And I, he was still in school with me for years and years after that. So I had to continue seeing her here and there. And I was always like, you are the piece of shit woman who got a 12-year-old fired for trying to warn you about your son. That's like, awful. Go fuck yourself. Yep. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there was definitely um, that same theme of like injustice, yeah. right? The thing that I told you about with the little boy pushing the girl and then lying about it. Like when adults won't believe you. Yes. Or when adults won't show up for you, Mm -hmm. what the fuck? And there was definitely a lot of, um, like, betrayal and abandonment happening. Yes. And and rage happening on all those levels. Mm. Yeah, I would think that there would have to be. Yeah. God. Yes. I, uh, I, um, I do remember feeling grown up when the first time that I paid rent not in the first place that I lived off campus but the summer so basically I had um grant money that was covering my rent like it's what I would have gotten for housing if I was going to live on campus but I could choose whether I wanted to live on or off campus with that money however it only was for the school year so I had to go get a job and uh, yeah, either that or I was going to go home for the summer and I wasn't going to do that. Um, and I remember being like, boop, boop-a-doop. And I, I just walked around St. George Street, um, which is like the tourist hotspot. And I just kept going into places, asking if they were hiring. I just kept going in, just kept going, just kept going in. And a, like, I got a couple yeses, I got a couple noes. I filled out a couple applications and I walked right into the old time photo place and they were like, oh, you're a theater kid? Yeah, you're hired. You start tomorrow. Uh, and I was like, what? <laughs> um, and, it, yeah, the first time so I, the first time I paid rent with money that I had earned and also the first time I was worried I might not be able to pay that rent <laughs> with money that yeah. I earned. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, have, I figured it out. I did okay for myself for a long time. I'm implying that I'm not doing okay for myself right now. I don't know that I am, but I mean, are any of us? Come on. Um, The there was there was a time that I was particularly shy. I I surprised the fuck out of myself, honestly. And it was when I first went to college. And while I had been, I had been away from home for as long as two weeks because I had been at camp for two weeks. Okay, and that was really the and. Like, we've already established, I did not like being home. Right. (laughs) I happily thought that I could be away from home for a very long time. And so I go to college, and I move in, and I'm happy to be out of my own home. And I'm living in my dorm, and within, like, two weeks, I just can't stop crying. Mm -hmm. And my parents are calling me here and there to check on me, and right because I'm out from under the house, it's not like anything is uh, um, aggressive. Mm-hmm. And one night, I'm just in my dorm room and I'm alone, and my parents call me to check on me, and I just start sobbing. And they were like, "Honey, what's wrong?" And I was like, "I just think I really miss home." And they were like, well, you can come home. And I was like, I can? Oh. And they were like, yeah, did you think you couldn't come back anymore? And I think part of me did, you know? Like, especially because I think we all understood that 
me being out from under there would ease things dramatically. Uh-huh. Um, it, it would just remove the gas and the fire. It would it would separate them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and so no, I think I think a part of me thought that I, no, I could not come home. And so that kind of shocked me, that, like, pure moment of very much being a child and being afraid of this new and exciting and great chapter of my life that I really enjoyed. But um, at least my freshman year, I fucking loved my freshman year. Uh, that was that was a good time. Nice. But, um, yeah, that one surprised me. And then when I graduated... <laughs> when I graduated boy oh boy was it like falling it wasn't falling off a cliff it was tumbling down a giant surprising meadow (gasps) in like Scotland wow wow (laughs) that's that's kind of lovely yes I mean it wasn't bad it was not bad I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I just knew that I didn't want to move back home. Right. And because the market hadn't crashed yet, it was still kind of the expectation that if you wanted to be your own person, you'd graduate and you'd just you'd figure it the fuck out. Yep. There would be no time at home. And I also, things had gotten good with my parents over the years that I'd been in school that I did not want to go home and lose all of that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be in the world. And so, but tumbling down a big meadow, like, it, I was like, I'm going to get a job. And then I got a job as a camp counselor. Yes. <laughs> so A, temporary. B, I made about $300 for the entire summer. Yeah, of course. So there's that. But I was a theater director. And I spent the entire summer up in the Adirondacks, and I came back in August, and I had nowhere to live, and I didn't want to go home. Well, I, I suppose I could have gone home, but I didn't want to. So I came back in August, and I was like, I, th- I think even up in the Adirondacks, I was trying to like look at apartments on Craigslist or something, and we had almost no internet, so that was a fool's errand. Oh, jeez. But... But I remember um, maybe emailing a professor that I had had, one of my acting teachers, and being like, "Mm, I'm trying to figure out somewhere to live. What do you think? And she was like, "Ah, come live with me for a little bit until you can get on your feet. It'll be fine. Um, And it worked out because she needed basically a house sitter. That's perfect. So That's perfect. I came down from the Adirondacks with all of my camp shit, swapped it out for one day, at my parents' house and drove back up to Mawa to live in my professor's house for, like, a month. And I remember she had one of those candy-colored iMacs, like, the the all-in-one God, I love those things. I love them. And I spent a minimum 12 hours a day on that machine looking for jobs, listening to a Jack Johnson album... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and looking for apartments. And so I, I just had, like, tabs open on either side. And every job that I was trying to find was in theater, but of, it was, of course, for marketing or advertising or management, which I didn't have the credentials for. Mm-hmm. 
So eventually I found a job for Jimboree and started right. working there. So another <laughs> weird, more weird, like falling down the meadow because Jimboree was like, well, we're not full time and we can't offer you benefits. And I was like, well, I'll figure it out, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's when I negotiated benefits for myself. Yes, which that's was really baller. That's such a boss bitch move. And I didn't even know. Yeah. That's probably why it worked. Yeah. Because I was, because I didn't know that jobs didn't come with benefits. Right. I thought if I was showing up somewhere 40 hours a week, you'd better damn well make sure that I have health right. insurance. Right, yep. Because I have the privilege to think that that was an expected thing. Anyway, it worked, I thank God, but... Um, so I found the Jimboree job and I sort of mushed it into being full-time and mushed it into having benefits, which was delightful. And I found an apartment that uh, on Craigslist that was sketchy as hell. It was the hovel that I lived in. It basically, I, I took the keys from the girl who had, who was moving out the next day and I moved in that night and I was, like, on her bed. Oh. And it came with her queen mattress on a box spring. <laughs> and that was it. And I sat in that room and and felt and held the keys in my hand. Mm. And I was, like, the gravity of the fact that, like, oh, fuck, this is adulthood. Like, this is the first real step. This is where I live now. I am responsible for paying this this rent check every month. This is my home. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That, uh, and I cried a lot. I mean, I I, I was excited, but I cried a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That, those were all very weird, very big, big feelings for sure. Because, I mean, privilege-wise, I suppose I did have a safety net. Within two years, everybody would be living with their parents again anyway. Right. At, right after college because what the fuck was the point? There was nothing out there. But at that time, I felt like this was the only real option for me. Sure. And so that was the hovel that I would live in for five years and I was the anchor, and there were roommates that came and went and came and went. But, um, yeah, that was, like, this moment of living in my professor's house, just sort of couch surfing until I could find this very sketchy apartment on Craigslist and a job that wasn't really the job that I wanted, but I somehow made it that. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, when That's I was – um, when my apartment got all fucked up when I lived in that basement apartment in Harlem and then I wound up having to like mm. crack, like couch surf and house sit and stuff like that like people really came through for me I don't know how long I was without a place but it was a while uh, it's so hard to remember those moments it isn't it? really is it was at least a month though it was at least a month mm. because I had two separate weeks house sitting at people's places and then I think, and, and I remember being with Marty and Paul for longer than I felt comfortable with <laughs> living on their couch. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it had mm-hmm. to have been about two weeks, possibly longer. Um, uh, yeah, and, and and that was that was definitely a moment of like, oh, I do have a safety net. Like, 
maybe maybe being adult an adult is is macrameing your own safety net. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which, like, God help us, but <clears throat> it does become easier with community, yeah. with trusted people. Uh-huh. And all of that set me up for my next big fucking lesson, which was, oh, the people I have do not have me. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was really garbage. Especially when, and I don't. I don't hold this against her at all. I feel like she's exactly where she wants to be. And I'm very happy that when I'm out there, I get to see her. But like I graduated and I was so excited that I'd be able to see my best friend more frequently because I'd be living closer to New York and she was on Long Island. And I was like, I moved it. I called her and I'm like, I moved into a place where I'm like 10 minutes away from the city. And she, and she was like, that's awesome. I'm going to LA. And I was like, Wait, what? Oh, no. <laughs> no. no. So I basically graduated and um, and she moved across the country. And, uh, and now I get to see her more frequently now that I am in L.A., now that my work takes me out there and, I, and that it's part of my workscape. Um, but... <clears throat> workscape. Uh, but for the years in between... I was left with some real shitty scragglers on uh, the Jersey side. God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And having to make decisions about friends and stuff like that always felt very big, like in a very... Huge. And again, like, not something that people prepare you for. People talk about breaking up with lovers. Not mm-hmm. with friends. I'm Not like, with friends. Um... I think the one place that I always felt like I kind of had my feet on the ground was that I was aware of my coping mechanisms for sure. Like I was aware, not everything, of course, but of um, a lot of my defense mechanisms and the things that I was falling back on that I knew probably weren't necessarily great for me for long term, but which were going to get me through the day. (laughs) And I knew I wasn't like I had any um, delusions about stuff like I knew that I was making the choices that I was making because I kind of had to. Mm -hmm. But um, I I will say except for the caffeine, the caffeine, I I knew that I, I felt like I was drinking a lot of caffeine, but I never felt like I was drinking an extraordinary amount of caffeine until my therapist was like, I think you're self-medicating. <laughs> Guess what? You have ADHD. Hey. 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 No wonder I could have a cup of coffee and fall asleep immediately afterwards. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, and or be up until 3 o'clock in the morning because I drank two Red Bulls. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are you feeling very adult right now? I'm... Uh, I guess (laughs) in that all I've learned about adulthood is kind of just like, you got to do what's right in your heart and it won't always feel comfortable. Yeah. And you won't get, you, you won't get validation for it. Yeah. In many ways. Um, and like the friend stuff in particular, man, 
fucking man. Like that first taste that I had of it when I very clumsily tried to end a friendship that was just stuck in the past. Um, that was hard and that did feel adult, but it was also very strange. Whereas when it really clicked in for me in a profound way was right after my dad died. And uh, I was recently talking to my therapist and I connected the dots of like, oh, this people-pleasing coping mechanism uh, exists because of him. Mm, wow. And despite the fact that we had had a very a relatively peaceful 10 years before he died, I mean, there's no way that I would not have still, even when he was alive, uh, felt like I wasn't there to manage him and his and be responsible for his feelings. Right. It just felt better because he was feeling good, and I finally got that right. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm finally doing something right. Oh, baby. But, yeah, right. Um, but then after he died, uh, just something clicked. And, and, like, the saddest part is that I learned posthumously in a more profound way, but he always sort of had this tendency to that he was, he was the one who was willing to do anything for the people that he cared about. And there were times that they would just throw him away and he was devastated by those for the rest of his life. Right. As I very, uh, am sad to say, I probably will be like, that's that's just who I am. It's not going to ruin my life, but I'm not going to pretend that I'm not profoundly affected by people deciding that I'm not worthwhile. Um, people that I've cared about and who have cared about me. So there was a part of that shortly after he died that somehow... Um, started healing in me and like hardened a little bit and was like, you know what? I am done going hard for people who will never go hard for me. Yes. Yes, girl. I'm fucking done. That is something I have no interest in anymore. And I used to be the queen of that. Yeah. I used to be the queen of it. It didn't matter what you gave me because I would give you a million percent. Yes. Oh, God. Every time. I love taking care of people. I love feeling needed in that way. Yeah. And the great news is that when someone deserves it, (laughs) I'm really good at it. I'm really good at it. The problem is I did it with everybody and I burned myself out so hard 30 years in that when I was like, fuck this. Cover it in lighter fluid and light a match and walk away. (laughs) Yep. I've just been breaking down those muscles. But whatever, whatever kind of died in me when my dad died was helpful in that way. Because it, it all of a sudden took the pain, took the incredible pain out of that process and turned it into you deserve me or you don't. Yeah. And look how clear it is. These many people who've shown me for years 
that they do not fucking deserve me. Right. They don't give a shit if I live or die. I am useful to them, and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. And it made that it made that lesson so clear. It made that choice undeniable. Right. Wow. It wasn't comfortable, and that felt very adult, but it also really, truly felt like the first time I had profoundly stood up for myself. Wow. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Yeah. So, feeling for years and years and years, like, uh, people were abandoning me and didn't have my back, but finally... In a very tangible way, I had my own, mm. which was amazing. Right. And I like that. I like that feeling. I have not, I had not felt that before. And six years in almost, and it still feels kind of novel, even though I'm getting better and better with those muscles. Like, um, it becomes easier and easier for me to see yeah. the difference in those people. And um, and to see where I need to be more selective, for sure. <sighs> Look at that! If people I feel weren't like... trash. This wouldn't happen. Yeah, well, <laughs> it would at least be easier. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts. Uh, I've never heard that before. That's cute. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know what the rest of the rhyme is. Uh-oh. I know it from The Simpsons. It's one of the oldest bits of pop knowledge that uh-huh. I just have floating around. I love it. Well, that felt good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still don't know a lot of shit. Um, I'd say. Oh, my God. If I ever have to, I, I if would... I ever have to file my own taxes. Oh, oh barf. No. <laughs> no, I, I still don't know most things. And I will say communal as, as much as. The last six years of my life have really been about slapping my own hand when it comes to over extending myself mm-hmm. emotionally. I will still say, communally taking care of each other still feels really good. Sure. And I trust that there will also be a day further on down the line where I feel like I've broken that habit enough that I can integrate it back in a in a way that feels really resonant and real mm. to me. Nice. Um, which is, yeah, which is nice because I'm looking forward to exclusively giving that person to friends who deserve it. Yay. Exclusively, like where it's always belonged. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and especially in this moment right now in quarantine and in this cultural reckoning like the possibility of well is life just going to be communally caring for each other Uh, not if we all murder each other first correct (laughs) exactly god well I I don't know how you feel listeners after (laughs) You're going on that journey with us. (laughs) That was a deep one. That was a deep one. Give me more praise reports. Uh, (laughs) uh, um, Me and Don's wedding anniversary is coming up real soon. 
Um, what's she gonna do? Uh, we are going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, oh, very nice. Open again at 25% capacity. I'm feeling great about that. Um, also, our very first kiss uh, was in Central Park, and the last time that we went over to find that bench, they were doing construction over there, so we weren't able to get at it. And then we just hadn't gone back in a while. So we're going to hmm. do, we're going to go smooch at the bench or somewhere close to it. That's it's cute. near It's near the Balto statue. Statue? Yes. Yes. Balto statue. <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to see the Temple of Dender, which is my favorite thing in any museum anywhere on the planet. And then um, on our actual anniversary, I think that we're just going to go someplace nice to eat, but outside because I... I'm not cool with indoor dining yet. No, no, me neither. I think that's a terrible fucking decision, and I don't know what the hell they're doing. I understand why. I get it. I get it. But. Get it as in business-wise? Yeah, I understand why that's happening. I understand it, but I don't think that it is in the general public's best interest. But also. It's not. I'm not uh, an infectious disease researcher um or a governor of a state so i don't know (laughs) i don't know all you got indoors are a bunch of open flowers and a little bee in a one-way mask pollinating each and every one no thank you Mm. (laughs) that's that is my decidedly extreme take on it but hey (laughs) yeah Yep. Uh, um, yeah. And uh, 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 and then um, my best friend's birthday is coming up next week. So there's all kinds of stuff happening. Yeah. It's good. Happy birthday, Shauna. Yes, happy birthday, Shauna. Oh, and I've been watching this show on Netflix called Trinkets, which I rather adore. And I don't, I don't, nobody's ever mentioned it to me. It's a high school coming of age story. About three girls who are in Shoplifters Anonymous together. Um, and it is a fascinating and rather nuanced look, I think, at female friendships. I like it. Is it narrative or is it docu? Oh, narrative. It's fiction. Ooh. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, I've been, I don't know where I'm at, man. I've been, I'm like, I need high school bullshit. <laughs> hey. I'm into it. How about you? Uh, um, I am going to see my mom tomorrow. My mom is going to come over, and my mom has been very isolated, so we still stay in masks, but we hang out outside together, Sure, and that's going to be great. And I uh, apparently give really good haircuts now. Yay! <laughs> hmm and I am working on my mental list of what is going to be up as we go into the fall and winter. So, like, so much of what has kept me completely, well, relatively sane mm-hmm. over the last, like, four months has been being able to be outside all the time, all day long if I want, and having space to be because I live in the middle of nowhere. Uh that is going to be different by November. It'll still be lovely to be outside through September and October, but once it starts to get cold, I'm just going to be indoors. Mm-hmm. And 
I am not going to want to be indoors anywhere but my house. Yeah. So um, I'm thinking about that already and trying not to think with too much dread, but rather oh. sort of like game it now. Yes. That is a really good point. So. That's a really good point. That's a really good point, and that should be enough impetus for me to finally put my shelves together and figure <clears> out <throat> this bullshit pile that is my studio. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of the art that I want to make while that's happening and maybe the structure that I want to have in place. Like, I've enjoyed months of zero structure at this point. Yeah, I am um, I need some structure. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could like, set myself up with, with uh, writing days and, um, and basically a one-woman book club for myself <laughs> with just, like slam dunking through a ton I could take up fucking knitting um sell all my shit like yeah yeah we got I'm starting to, to do. game what I want to do and maybe I don't know probably collecting recipes and like having fun things to work on and make yeah but yes I am already thinking ahead because it has been perfect that I could be outside all summer long and just kind of like dawdle mm-hmm. um but I don't – if I only dawdle indoors, I'm going to drive myself bananas. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's going to be the shining up in here <laughs> immediately. <laughs> I'm kind of – I'm anticipating shining levels of of climbing the walls, Love which it. is why I'm taking it seriously sure. right now, you know? I get you. That makes yeah. sense. Strategy. 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 I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Probably gonna stay in acting class, and um, probably going to keep working on some projects and maybe doing, maybe doing some virtual uh, re um, like script readings. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I've I've got some ideas in in my noggin, but um, yeah. So that that's my praise report. I am working on how to keep myself. Uh, <laughs> off the ceiling for the next six months. Yay. <laughs> well, Yay. Thanks, thanks. That sounds great. And thanks, <laughs> you guys, if you have, as always, if you have any suggestions or feedback, please let us know. And many thanks to our friend Professor Marvin, who reached out in regards to our discussion on um, uh, support abroad uh, last week when we were talking about NASA and uh, and international politics. Right on. And, I love you, um, Marvin. You're a good dude. Oh, he's a rad dude. Yeah. So, you know, feel free to reach out, guys. Uh, also, fuck buddies, um, rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, and check out fucking Jersey, our sister podcast. And do check out fucking Jersey. Fucking Jersey is a wonderful little oasis of of delight and terror and (laughs) it's definitely less tender than we are over here but then you get you have your place to go for feeling and you have your place to go for adrenaline whatever (laughs) exactly (laughs) we can't all be all things at all all times so oh my god especially right now Mm -mm. i keep wondering like why can't i be fun oh right (laughs) oh you're fun i hope so fun Maybe because I've been profoundly depressed for at least six months. Yay. <laughs> Probably closer to a year. It's also not your obligation to be fun. 
This is very true, and I am working on that as well. Mm-hmm. That's a tricky one. It is my only my obligation to be very human in this moment, and the only rational response to everything that's going on is to be profoundly depressed. Yep. <laughs> so let's be let's be real. Let's be fair. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, snuggles and hugs, and we'll talk to you guys snuggles soon. Snuggles and hugs. Be well and gentle with yourselves. And we love y'all, fuck buddies. And I love you, Lillian. I love you, Jen Ponton. And we will talk to you very soon. <laughs> we don't want to go. We're like, <laughs> what's some more bullshit that we can say? Okay. Okay, goodbye. Okay, bye. Okay, three, two, one, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>